With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Hawkeye fans, and welcome back to the Hawkeye History Podcast. My apologies for uh, not having one of these for a while. Um, it kind of coincided with camp opening for the Iowa Hawkeyes and then the season and kind of have been swamped and haven't had a chance to do one of these. So we're going to come back strong and happy to be joined today by former Hawkeye offensive lineman David Porter. Um, and I think this will be a good show, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, welcome aboard, David. It's nice to have you. Thanks for doing this. Rob, thank you. Not, it was my pleasure. So I, I kind of bounce around on these and start in different spots. Sometimes I start back at time at Iowa, but let's catch up with what you're doing these days. Tell the, uh, the fans kind of uh, what, what takes up your days these days, so to speak. So these days I'm living in Chicago. I'm uh, downtown Chicago. I'm a real estate broker. I run a team of about 10 brokers with me, one assistant. And we buy and sell real estate for our clients uh, in and around the, the Chicago area. Sounds uh, interesting and, and competitive. Do you find that the real estate is um, maybe not as, or maybe it's more competitive than, than playing football? Is there, are there parallels there? There are definitely parallels when it comes to negotiating. Um, you know, it's a lot of so, sometimes it is a battle of wills, uh, but you 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 miss out on the contact. So, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> My body definitely thinks says thank you for that. But the uh, the actual having to go into work every day and you know just get to work and just keep doing the basics over and over again. It, it just those are the parallels that I see in football, you know, as, as well as right now with me leading a team, it becomes coaching and mentoring and making sure that the people that we're, I'm bringing in have similar values, similar work ethics. And I'm a big believer in attitude and aptitude, right? We want people to have the ability to work, know how to work, but not only just work, but work in a smart way, right? So they have to be able to adopt the systems and processes that we have in place and if they don't understand how to do that, there's very little chance that they're going to be successful doing their job. How did you end up in real estate? <laughs> <laughs> so real estate became a natural fit. I was in sales for a while, and I was selling um, distribution supplies for a manufacturing and construction companies. Gotcha. And so we were doing sales. And traveling around, and it's just like it got ridiculously hard. And <clears throat> literally, I was at a dad's night out event for school, and one of my friends was telling me, "Hey, you ever thought about real estate?" So I had thought about it. It's like you should really give it a, a you know good look. You get great flexibility. The money's not bad. You know, it's not great all the time, but it's not bad. But it, it, it's there's a lot of action going on. It's like, oh, really? It's like, yeah. So literally over a beer from one suggestion from a friend, that's how I looked into it and just got into it. Great things happen over having a beer. So that's, that's the <laughs> lesson to kids. Um, how long ago was that, David? When did you make that transition from sales to real estate? Oh, God, that was 2013. Okay. So he and I spoke about it. Say in May of uh, April or May of 2013, and by like June, I was in. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Now, I think, I, I think I don't know, I think I've heard this, and, and I could be totally off here, but there is a Hawkeye connection on your real estate team, correct? There is a Hawkeye connection. You, Louis Trinkle-Passat. So Louis joined the team uh, this year. And his first day, I believe, was May 1st. Yeah. So, and it's, it's through the Hawkeye network that we're building now. So... Um, <laughs> One of the, our Hawkeye brethren reached out on LinkedIn and said, hey, we have one of our brothers looking for some help. He's finishing up his NFL career. He's not quite sure what he wants to do. The, is anybody in need right now of assistance or can somebody help out? And immediately, I think Lewis was reached out to by maybe five different Hawkeye brothers, and five or six. And... Uh, just set up meetings and he came in and spoke with all of us individually and with our different um, you know, businesses and what we do. And he just chose to come work with us, which is great. Lewis has been an, a, a tremendous asset. And he said he brings that Hawkeye mentality. And it's really, it's a real thing. The hard work, the temerity to go out there every day and put it on the line. And that's what he does. He just comes in and does his job, gets his work done. He's already closed his first deal, you know, and he's just, he's really taken off. Had you had a relationship with him prior to that, David, or was it just really based on you knew he came out of a football program that prepares people and you felt like, hey, let's give this guy a shot? I had not had enough. I had zero interactions with Lewis before that email went out. That was it. So knowing that he was – he had been through our program. I know what kind of people come up through our program. I know the kind of character. Uh, of the, I know the character of the guys who come through there because I know the stringent criteria that Coach has. Right? So there, it was like, hey, all right, we got a Hawkeye brother. Good. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Doesn't matter who it was. You know what you're going to get. I really am interested in this this network you guys have going with the alumni of the program. Um, can you share with people kind of what goes on there and, and how it works? So it just, I can't even say as a, it has not been formalized, like we're trying to do more with it, but it's really just making sure that we stay in touch with each other. We spend all these years and, you know, playing football at the University of Iowa, and we built this bond because we're doing something special out there and there's very few opportunities in life do you have to do things that are so special like that and then once you're done with football we all kind of went our own way and did our own thing and we have a lot of guys that have done tremendous things i mean tremendous things in this world and we've all just kind of lost touch with each other so the last couple of years i've been kind of reaching out like hey what's going on making sure to make a a real effort to stay in touch with these guys or get back, reconnected with them. Mm -hmm. And they've all been doing the same. So this kind of took off organically. And then, you know, the guys reaching out to us on LinkedIn, it's just, that was purely by luck. I mean, I just, it, like I said, it all just happened organically. And now we're having, um, we're trying to get something to formalize it. And I believe Ben Hansen is actually doing a tremendous job of getting that together. And everything's just kind of happening all right now. And none of this was actually even planned. It's just a bunch of us just reach out to each other because we had such a history together. And I was like, okay, I don't want to let that go. I don't. Who were some of the guys, I guess, that you, are, are, you know, initially reached out to and connect, reconnected with? <laughs> uh, so, uh, of course, I go back to my 2002 team. Sure. And my 2001 team, uh, Anthony Heron, big one. <laughs> yeah. Alonzo Cunningham, another one. Eric Steinbach, uh, Brad Banks, Jerry Montgomery, DJ Johnson, Colin Cole. I mean, you just kind of keep going through the list. Dallas Clark. You know, just reach back out to them and say, hey, what's going on in your life? I even talked to Kevin Casper, Kyle Trapier. Yeah. Say, hey, guys, how are you doing? And I'll let, I see your post on Facebook. Trevor Bowler is another one. Mm. You know, they're, they're all doing, they're all just solid men out there leading their family, doing the right thing, and just being good people. And I was like, well, we have all this stuff and all these connections and everybody's doing well. 
what happened? Let's just stay in touch. Just stay in touch. I want to see how you're doing. If you ever need anything, please reach out. It was the same thing they said to me. And when we got together, we had, we didn't miss a beat. It's crazy. Really didn't miss a beat. Where do you hope this goes from here? I mean, you talked about Ben Hansen uh, kind of trying to get this more formalized, but um, in that regard, where, where do you hope or, or where can this go, do you think? Well, my hope is that we one day have the network set up like like a Notre Dame has or like a Michigan has with their alumni brother where everybody reaches out, reaches back to help out the organization, to help out the program. So they keep telling everybody, it's our alumni association, right? We're the one that did the blood, sweat, and tears. It's ours. Mm-hmm. We built it. It was built with us. So why would we just let that go? It makes no sense. And we're doing really good stuff. And the program gave us a lot. We really did. We, I've learned a lot. Okay, I'm going to stop speaking for everybody else, but I'm going to say for myself, the lessons that I learned playing football at the University of Iowa, they really have carried me through life. Really have. Composure, confidence, poise, right? Making a plan, working your plan. Don't be worried about making the right decision, right? Be worried about making your decision right. (laughs) Coach Philbin would always tell us that pregame, right? Poise, character, control the things you can control. Things you can control, hey, we'll deal with that as that comes up. And making adjustments on the fly. That's what we do. So all those lessons that I learned playing football and being coached at the University of Iowa, I bring that into my daily life. And I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm passing that along to my kids. I have two daughters, so they don't really have to go to the football thing. <laughs> but it's literally have a plan, work your plan, and <clears throat> know that not everything's going to go perfectly, but that's okay. You know, not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to be uh, all roses all the time. That's not how this works. You know, you have to have what they call that stick to itness. Mm-hmm. Keep going at it. Break that rock. You don't break it with the first swing. You don't. You have to chip away at it. You have to keep chipping and keep chipping. And that takes that internal fortitude. So you guys had, I, I've, I don't remember if this was in the summer or the spring you had, and, and you, I think I've done this before, but had a gathering in Iowa City and met with some of the, you know, the, the players that were close to graduating. Is that something you see you guys can build on, maybe do more frequently, get more people involved? Yeah, I would hope so. And the last thing we want to do is not improve. Like every day you want to get better. And with every generation of Hawkeyes, we want to get better. You know, we <clears throat> the things that we went through when we finished playing football and we were done with the university, you know, our guys should not have to go through. They should be, it, it should be smoothing the transition for them. Actually, we should be paving the road. And the guys behind us, they're refining it. And they pave it further. So this is nice, smooth, seamless transition for everyone coming out. That's what, that is the goal, right? It's a family. We talk about it all the time, but this is really a brotherhood. And it really is a family. And we do take care of each other. That's what it's supposed to be. This is kind of off the beaten path, and I'm not sure you have an opinion on this, but with that, you know, what you guys get out of the, the, you know, college football. Have we gotten to a point where there should be some more compensation for guys that go through this, you know, any college football program at this level? Or do you feel like what you get out of the program is enough? Yeah, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You said it was going to be softball, not not hard hitting, but okay, I get it. I get it. That was spur of the moment. I just kind of built when you were talking about kind of setting people up and helping people, you know, post college football. I wonder sometimes if, you know, it wouldn't be an advancement to have a little bit when you're leaving college, just in terms of what you've given to a program. Well, 
So I've been asked this question a lot. And one of the questions I ask in return, it's like, okay, great. Why can't you major in, in professional sports? It's Why true. can't you major in football? Why can't you major in baseball or tennis? Football players, basketball players, uh, tennis players, they're going to make more money. And by the way, just because you're majoring in a professional sport doesn't mean you have to play that professional sport. They're all different levels of businesses that happen within a professional sport. Right? You can be the GM. You can be the guy that – you can even be the, the, um, the guy taking care of the grounds. I mean, all of that goes into what you see on a Sunday or on a Saturday. You know, all those people, all those different levels of businesses – you know, the guys running concession stand. There's a fair amount of business that goes on in, in, in sports. So getting people ready for it, if we're not going to make that a major, to me it doesn't quite make sense for that, uh, for that to be um, not compensated. Gotcha. I do say that you get a lot from it, but you do give a lot. You do give. And I know a lot of guys... A few of our guys have already had knee replacements, mm. right? And you start thinking about CTE. And you know, we've, we've had one of our brothers, he literally had a grand mal seizure in the middle of the night, woke up paralyzed. And we're talking about real-life events that happen. And, and football's a great sport, don't get me wrong. It really is, but there are things that come along with it. And things that a lot of these guys didn't know about, didn't sign up for either. Yeah, it's well said and, and a solid perspective. Um, not an easy topic, though. So no, let's get not back. Easy, Let, let's get back to the softball. <laughs> I apologize for throwing that that curveball in there. Um, let's go back to you know your high school days and you know. Get it, you know, formulating yourself into the sport. At, at what point, you're a big guy, obviously, or were a big guy. I, I saw a picture of you recently. You played at like 6'7", 320. How big are you now? <laughs> <laughs> so I've dropped a, a little bit away. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, have. I'm, I'm right around like 250 right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I do um, at my heaviest, I was three hundred forty around three hundred forty pounds, and it was a few years ago, and I was doing a showing, and in Lincoln Park, I was doing a showing in Lincoln Park, and I walked up three flights of, of stairs, and we're walking up in a, a three flight in Lincoln Park, and for I couldn't stop sweating, and I I'm sitting here, it was tough for me to catch my breath, and I'm thinking to myself. I just walked up three flights of stairs and I can't catch my breath. That is so horrible. And I went to, I met with my doctor. He's like, my, my labs were all out of whack. It's like, well, we need to change some things. So I started to change my diet. I thought it was a diet first and then it became a lifestyle change. And I started working out. I went on the lakefront trail and I got on my bike. My first day, I did two miles on the bike, and it almost killed me. <laughs> it <didn't help> <laughs> uh, I laid on the, the side of the bike trail in the grass, with my hands over my head, knees up, and people were like, are you okay? I'm, like, I'm fine. I promise you, I'm going to make it. <laughs> so, and now, I mean, was it two weeks ago, I did 32 miles. Wow. And have plenty of energy to keep going. And that's after having knee surgery in April. That's awesome, man. That's good to hear. And yeah, I I turned 52 this summer. So I I've kind of my doc was like, yeah, it's time for you to start to pay more attention. And it, it's everybody should do that though. That's kind of especially with families and you know, yeah. setting examples and things like that. But um exactly. So, I'm sorry, David, go ahead. I was going to say, with the, uh, the lifestyle change, I haven't had an Advil in over two years now. 
Wow. Yeah. I said, the knee surgery, they gave me all the pain medicine. I took naproxen and I had two hydrocodons like the entire time, two pain pills. And it's just, diet is such a big deal. I should say, lifestyle is such a big deal. You got to stop going to diet. So, were you, this is kind of an odd question, but were you always big? Were, 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 you know, when you got to high school, were the coaches like, okay, this guy, we got to get this guy? I mean, were you always a, a, a one of the bigger kids? I was. In my uh, senior year in high school, I was 290 pounds. Wow. I came, I came in Iowa at 290 pounds, 285, 290. When I went in as a freshman in, freshman in the high school, I'm working backwards. Freshman in high school, I was 225 pounds around that. And between my sophomore year and my junior year of high school, that's when I had my growth spurt and I put on like 40 pounds. Grew four inches and 40 pounds in the summer. Wow. So I'd always been a very big man. Not quite as big as when I was, you know, when you, I got to Buffalo and I said, yeah, you're kind of small at 320. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Mark told me, he said, we kind of like our offensive lineman a little meatier. I said, have you seen my legs? I don't, I don't think I have any, <laughs> I can't put any meat on my legs. That's not how this works. <laughs> so was it at that point between your sophomore and junior year that you started thinking about college football or was it before that? It was, um, it was, it was between my sophomore and junior year. Yeah, it was. It wasn't until after I had my junior year that I really got a lot of attention. So I received letters before just because you know, of my size. But after my junior year, I made all state and I got a lot of attention. Then came the flood of all of these, um, of all the letters. The coaches came in to visit. I still remember Coach Fry coming in and visiting with me. You know, Coach Fuller came on out and visited with me. You, know, you, you had all these people coming in. I was like, wow, this football. And it was just overwhelming. It really was. Wow. Then you have all your official visits, and they're flying all over the place, which is great. <laughs> but you're a young kid. You don't even realize what's going on. You just, hey, I'm a man, but what does that really mean? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was a free flight, free meal, and I got treated like royalty. Where'd you go? What, what official visits did you take? did you take? Oh, God, where did I go? So I went to Boston College, mm-hmm. University of Iowa. I think I did Ohio State. Uh, what else did I do? I did Minnesota. I think I did Minnesota, too. Oh, that was it. And take us through the process of choosing Iowa. What, what made Iowa stand out and, and end up being the place that you chose? So, Iowa, after visiting all those places, I went to Iowa, and it was a home game. And they were playing Purdue. Mm. And it was a comeback victory. Tim Dwight had scored like, um, uh, he ran the ball back. Uh, No, what happened? Purdue kicked the ball. They punted the ball. Tim Dwight ran it back. I believe that was the year. Yeah. And Tavian Banks like scored up the sideline because we had a good had a good return from Timmy D. And went into the locker room, and we did the hokey pokey. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm watching all these big guys in here doing the hokey pokey. Everybody's having so much fun, and then they take me out, and I get to see the community. And Iowa City is special, and it really is. The lifestyle there, the people that are there, it, it really is a special place to be and be around and live. And my mom was in the military, so I travel around all the U.S., and some of the places we were in were not great. They really weren't. And I, I really wanted to change, and that community is what I needed. It was very nice. The people there are very accommodating. I mean, the education level there, as you know, it's ridiculous. The people there, 
you might have somebody that's plowing that's running a plow that has a master's or a phd (laughs) 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 the people are great it really is a great place to be very relaxed and at that time i was going to i wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon so the the teaching hospital uh was a great um a great tool and that really brought me in do you remember which players you hung out with? What, what, um, who hosted you on your visit? Oh, I remember Carlos Honore. Ah, uh huh, local guy. Uh huh. Carlos was my uh, my host, so he showed me the city. <laughs> he showed me a lot. <laughs> what we was had it a like, lot of fun. What was it like being co- being recruited by Coach Fry at that point? Um, you know, he's towards the end of his career. We don't know that, but already really a legend um you know in in the in his field um and, and almost like a um a figure that's lo- was larger than life in a lot of respects especially in this state it, that's what i was going to say it's coach fry <laughs> what are you going to say the man is <laughs> he's larger than life he really is and he's so relaxed and he's got that southern draw and he, he got me the boots when he had those boots with the tiger hawk on it, with the, the rose going through the beat, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And he nicknamed he called me Port. And I always had that high inflection on it. Hey, Port. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw him a few years ago, probably five years ago. Yeah, it was when I was honorary captain. And he still remembered me. I, I walked up to him. And, you know, he's what? I think he was like 85 or something like that at the time. And I thought he'd be a little, you know, a little dull, but he was sharp as a tack. Mm-hmm. Hey, Port, how you doing? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know how many people you have dealt with before in your career, and you know me by name? That's amazing. That really was amazing. But that man was larger than life. Um, Coach Austin, he was a big deal. Mm-hmm. He was a big reason I came there. You know, Mike Goff. He was another big reason. He became like my big brother, mm-hmm. you know, and you know they, they really just welcomed me in there. You know, Jared DeVries, who hated me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible. Jared doesn't hate anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, my first day out, the only reason he, you know, he got, I shouldn't say he hated me, he got really mad at me one day. I'm a young kid out there, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And we have this play, and it's in the middle of um, training camp. And Coach Reducci tells me which play we have to do, and it's like a, a quick screen pass. And on the quick screen to the right, I'm supposed to cut the DN. Like I don't know how to do. It. It's like yeah, run the play. Like okay, <laughs> so I go out there. I've never done a cut block before in my life, so I go out there. And I immediately go straight for his niece. He's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, you're going to learn. So after he proceeded to kick my butt, uh, (laughs) between the whistles, between the whistles, not not after. uh, Yeah, I learned a lot from him. (laughs) Man, he wore me out. (laughs) You You played as a true freshman, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, my red shirt came off. Um, so that would have been what ninety eight. That was ninety eight. Okay, so that was Coach Fry's last year. Yeah. What do you remember about hearing that you know he was sick and was going to retire, and then what was the transition like when Coach Ferentz came in? Oh. There's a lot to unpack there, I know. That was a lot. Yeah, those were um, those were tough times for us, man. You know, Coach Fry, when I it was one of the questions that I asked him before I committed, like, hey, there's all this talk about you leaving, and I just want to make sure you're going to be there all my my entire career. And it's like, Ford, I'll tell you this. They keep saying I'm going to retire every year. They've been saying that for a while. And I haven't done it yet. He did say uh, with a caveat. In this life, there are no guarantees. But I haven't retired yet. 
I don't plan on. So there you go. And I make the commitment. And after our our season, nineteen ninety eight, we start hearing the rumors, and I'm like, wow, he's gonna go. And the guys in the locker room were all just sad, and some were just, you know, really, really mad about the situation. And it wasn't made better because when we had Coach Stoops wanted to come, and then we we didn't get him, and then we get this guy named Kirk Ferentz, and no one knew how to say his name. (laughs) Ferentz, Ferentz, how do you say it? Who is this guy? No one knows who he is. And... It was like, oh, Coach E should be the next coach. And Coach E couldn't be the coach. And um, we didn't get the guy we wanted. We didn't get the guy we thought we should have had. And then we got Ferentz. Like, who is this? And he came in. And, man. (laughs) (laughs) He was tough. (laughs) He was a tough, tough man back then. (laughs) He really was. And... That that for some guys he didn't work for them. They they chose to leave, um, and some guys they just couldn't make it. They couldn't cut it. Coaches demand it. He really is, and he wanted to set a new standard for how Iowa was going to play football. You know, being talented it wasn't enough anymore. You couldn't just be talented. You had to work hard. And not only did you have to work hard, you had to work hard every day. Our saying was, you know, and I think people say this all the time, but hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm. We had a lot of talented people that did not work hard. I was never the most uh, talented person, not very flexible, not very strong. I worked. And everybody on our team, they worked. You know, Robert Gallery. He worked. Eric Steinbach, he worked hard. Bruce Nelson, he worked extremely hard. Dallas Clark, everybody worked. Bob Sanders, they all, Colin Cole, Jared Klaus, you know, Matt Ross. You know, everybody worked, and they worked hard. And the people that w- didn't want to work hard are, you know, took objection to how they, you know, Coach wanted to do his his business, his job, you know, they made it well known and they decided to either part ways or stay and see it through. So we went through a big upheaval and you guys know that, know the, what happened, you know, going from one and 11 to 11 and one, that's, uh, that was part of the upheaval. The guys that you saw on our 2001 and 2002 season, and I say I put those two in conjunction because those are really the guys that stuck it out. And we were there for a long time. And, you know, that was the turning point. 2001 was the turning point. Going to the Alamo Bowl, that broke the seal. That broke the floodgates. At that point, they had been telling us all these years, we're going to be good. Don't worry. Keep doing the work. Keep doing the work. Every day we're just going to get better. And then we got better. But it was not without struggle. Was that... Did there have to be somewhat of of blind faith there, David? I mean, because 1999 was brutal. But even in 2000, you guys... I mean, the game at Penn State, Michigan State, Northwestern, you could kind of start to see it. Did you kind of start to see it that year? We did. Yeah, you really did. We started because we're watching film, and in film we were always looking at ourselves. Like, okay, great. The person we were going against, we knew what they could do. We had to break down on them, but we started looking at our mistakes, the things that we were doing to really hurt ourselves. And then once we started to, as we're starting to watch film, you know, it's like, hey, those taking a better, uh, better steps. Look at that. We stopped watching the defense. We started watching ourselves, looking at our footwork, looking at our hand placement. Like, holy smoke. You see Anthony Heron's hands? Holy smoke. Look at that dude. Hey, Kyle. Kyle McCann put the ball right on the money. Right? DC. Wow, look at that route. There it is. That's a nice cutoff block. You know, you start doing that kind of stuff. 
And, you know, it went from this wrong, this wrong, this wrong to like, that's a good job. That's a really good job. That's a good job. You start hearing that kind of feedback and it became, oh, we get it now. We start setting the standard. 2002 is when we really started to take control and understand that it was really our team. You know, when coaches really didn't have to say much to us. The standard was, we're coming in, we're going to work hard. We're going to have fun, don't get me wrong, but we're going to work hard and we're going to get it done right. There weren't a lot of mistakes made. You, if I'm memory serves me correct, um, well, which it doesn't help me these days. Um, you were kind of had to fight some fight through injuries, correct? And and ended up getting a fifth year. I did, yeah, yeah. I had um, always trouble with my ankles. You know, I have long legs and thin ankles, mm-hmm. so that was that was my thing. Uh, when guys will fall on my leg or or I get tripped up or whatever it was, get rolled up on. I, you know, sprained my ankle, and it wasn't like a mild one. I had high ankle sprains, you know, and those were not fun. They would take forever. So it's just one of those things where how much pain can you take and how much can you tolerate, and, you know, there's only so much I could take. So they would hold me out for games, and, you know, I'd get back in a game, and sometimes I'd push, sometimes i and get back in a game and get rolled up on again, which made it worse. And like, you need to just sit down and actually let it heal. So, found a found a loophole in the rules. Can't call it a loophole, but they found a stipulation in the rules that I played below a certain percentage of games of the year, which allowed me to be granted a fifth year of eligibility. Mm. Yeah. So I got a retroactive red shirt. Um, did you realize how special that offensive line was in that you guys were a part of? Um, I, I think back to, and I think it's an iconic moment when you guys ran off the field together in the last home game, hand-in-hand. Still gives me kind of chills thinking about that and and remembering being in the press box when that happened. Um, When when you're going through that, when you're going through the moment, do you realize it, or is it more when you get down the road and and there's reflection? That's funny. Eric, so I was just having dinner with Eric Steinbach on Wednesday this week, uh-huh. and we were talking about that moment. Somebody asked us, and we're like, we, that had just happened organically. There was no uh-huh. planning or anything like that. Had no clue how big of a moment that was. We were just so happy <laughs> that, <laughs> are you talking about blind faith? I mean, we put a lot of time and energy and effort into this with no guarantee that we were all going to be there together. There's no guarantee that we're going to achieve what we had achieved, but we knew that we wanted to do it together and we stuck it out. And to be able to do what we did together, that that was just crazy. <laughs> I'm very, very fortunate. I've been a very, very lucky, fortunate, blessed, whatever you want to say, man. And I've had some very special moments in my life. And that is definitely one of the best moments we've had. And did not know how big it was going to be at the time, but looking back on it, it, it was just one of those things you figure out later how big it was. Yeah. And for those fans listening who, who maybe weren't, um, we're getting old now, David, so there are fans out there that don't remember that and, and maybe even weren't <laughs> alive at the time <laughs> that listened to this. Um, you guys are the... You guys are the standard for offensive lines here, and, and that says a lot because there have been some really good offensive linemen that come through here in the last, just the last 21 years under Coach Ferentz, but even before that with with Coach Fry. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's amazing. I think back to you know where you guys came from. I remember 
the first spring game or the spring game of 99 and just how there was, there were hardly anybody, there was hardly anybody there at Kinnick. I remember the band used to come out at that time and um, even the band had left like halfway through the spring game and the only <laughs> that were left were the tuba, tuba players and they were playing the fight song like really late in the spring game. And that's just one of those memories to me that shows kind of where things started and where they ended up in 2002. And uh, just, I mean, I think it was a great lesson just for people for, to, to you know, to stick, when you stick with something and, and as you've said, you know, to, you know, repeatedly on this podcast, it's about hard work. There aren't really any shortcuts. Yeah. I tell my team all the time, you know, there is a secret to life. There are no secrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are no secrets. We get in, we work hard, and we keep doing the work. Even when things don't go our way, we adjust on the fly, and we continue to work hard. <laughs> so, and you're not going to win every day. You know, there are some days, weeks, months that are just horrific. But I'm still going in to work every day to work. And I'm going in and I'm fighting every day. And that's what you have to do. Just keep going in and fighting. You keep trying to get better every day. And you you talked you touched on this earlier. You signed a free agent contract with the Bills, correct? What what went on for you? And I if, again, memory is not great, but I thought I remember the CFL being a part of your professional career as well. What what kind of went on with you, profe professional football wise? Yeah, my first team out. I went to uh, I got a tryout with Green Bay. Okay, that's right. We're with those guys so. I went to the game last night and saw uh, Coach Montgomery there, which is awesome. Brad was there as well. Took my daughters. Great. And then, yep. After I got cut from Green Bay, went to went to Buffalo. Was there for a little bit, and well, then I got cut from them when Mike Malarkey came in and wasn't his guy. And <laughs> went over to um, I got picked up. No, I actually went to NFL Europe. Oh, at that time, I went over to NFL Europe and nobody wanted me because nobody wanted me at that time. I went over to NFL Europe in the hopes of getting, you know, noticed. And I did okay, I guess, because Indianapolis decided to sign me. So I got signed up by Indianapolis and first game preseason, uh, we were in Japan playing against, was it Atlanta? Yeah, Atlanta, Michael Vick. And completely destroyed, I messed up my knee and ankle. Uh, yeah, I was caught off the field and never saw an NFL uh, field again. Uh, did my rehab, tried to go to CFL. I went to CFL and tried to make that work and just never quite caught on. You know, I lost that one half the step that I needed. <laughs> but after that, I came back to um, came back to Chicago and decided to make a home here. So did the injury, injuries kind of decide for you what your future was going to be? Or did you have to get to a point where you were like, okay, I've, I've, you know, I've battled through this enough and, and now it's time to move on. Was that a, a difficult transition? It was. It's giving up football for anyone, mm. especially if you've played. And a lot of these guys, I didn't really start playing tackle football until high school. A lot of these guys played in, in grade school. So you go from grade school to high school, you, if you're fortunate enough to go play college, and then to go play pro, well, I mean, that's very fortunate as well. And then all those years of playing and hard work and dedication just to, oh, I'm done with it. That's a, that's a watershed moment. And that's, that's a life-changing event. So I, it was one of those things, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm not the high-paid guy. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I don't I don't have the physical attributes right now to do that. And right now, my body's starting to break down. So do I continue to try to force this thing to work? Or do I take another path and try to make that work? So I took another path. And it's one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. At that time, it was, at least. And you know, I, I don't regret it. I enjoyed my time playing football. It was really tough to give it up. God, it was so tough to give it up. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, you love the game. You do. It's not just you know, the money. All You can talk to most of these guys. It, it's, the money helps, but it's really hanging out with the guys and doing something together that you love and working to achieve a goal. Well, I think we've uh, I think we've discussed a lot. I, I appreciate keep you doing this for as long as you have today. I do. We do wrap these up with a little fun uh, Q and A. Five questions. Again, these are softballs. Nothing hard hitting. I, I will stay away from the hard hitting wow. stuff. <laughs> uh, so this this is this. We're going to go in the wayback machine to your time at Iowa. Um, and the first question is, what was your favorite place to hang out on campus, non-restaurant? Non-restaurant? A non-restaurant where you like to hang out when you were here at school. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so a non-restaurant, one of my favorite places to hang out. I can't even call my favorite. One of the places that I hung out the most is the training facility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there a lot. I was watching film, getting treatment, and working out. Uh, between that and and school and work, that's kind of what it was. Uh -huh. um, now I'm going to open it up to restaurants. What was your favorite place to eat when you were uh, a student at Iowa? <laughs> My favorite place to eat was RT's. Ricky was the owner, and I think he still is. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're still up, but RT's was amazing. It really was. They had a lunch special, a steak, baked potato. <laughs> it was, it was great. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, your favorite course and or professor, uh, in college. Favorite course. Hmm. Or professor. Maybe they're linked. I'm trying to think. That is a tough one. Let's I'm going to go with. All right. I was going to say, I, I was going to go with endocrinology, but I think, yeah, it is endocrinology. That was great. What was right, it I learned that, a, that, that stuck, stuck out to you? So I learned a lot about genetics. I learned about how the human body worked. I learned understand how the chemical release and stuff i'm a i'm a science nerd i love yeah. science so <laughs> and he and he made the class fun i forget the professor's name but it, it, he really brought down brought it down to a level that was easily digestible yeah. and he brought in real life examples so you know a lot of these books they tell you things and they give you numbers and they give you data and you have letters that you're looking at, you're looking at all these symbols, things from the periodic table of elements. And it's like, okay, great. I got all this stuff. Where do I see that in real life? And he literally, he would tell us where this was, how this was applicable in real life. And he really brought it down to a ma manageable level to, so that I could easily digest it. Nice. Um, who were your roommates at Iowa? <laughs> uh, I had DJ Johnson. That was it. Really? DJ Johnson was my only, yeah, he was my only football roommate. From start to it. finish. Start to finish. Well, during the school year. I also had like Aaron Campman in the summertime. My first year there, I had Liddell Betts, Anthony Heron, uh, um, uh, Mikel. Oh, goodness. Yeah. We yeah. all lived in a house right there on, uh, on Melrose, 605 Melrose. That was. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure yeah, there's. Story, I'm sure there are some stories from that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we do have some stories. We're not going to talk about those, but we do have some stories. <laughs> yeah, going from that to Aaron Campman, that was uh, a little bit of a change. <laughs> oh, and then our our last one here, and and you can give me both, or you can give me either. Um, your favorite, your favorite Hayden Fryism or Kirk Ferentzism or both 
or one or the other, whichever you get, whichever you want a story, um, you know, <laughs> something they repeatedly hit you over the head with, you know, things like that. Well, I'll go, I'll throw Coach Ferentz. Uh, Coach Ferentz has a habit. And I don't, I don't know if people have noticed it, but he chews a lot of gum. Yeah, I think people and have noticed. They've noticed that, right, with the stomping yes. of the feet and all the good stuff, too? Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're in training camp, and he loves to do his thing with his gum. He's always chewing gum. But when he throws it away, he's throwing out his wad of gum, he literally washes it every time. He throws it and washes it land to see where it lands. So we're sitting here, and it was like a, a it was a throwing gum count one day. I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And I think was it Jerry Palmer that did the video. Yes, somebody did it. It was Jerry, and <laughs> he did the video of him throwing the gum. And I'm like, "How many times did he do it?" <laughs> like a remix. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask Jerry for that. See if he still has it. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That's uh, that was good. Coach Fry always had words. It's just the hokey pokey everybody knows about. Um, wait, what one word he was telling me? Something like shut the barn barn door. And I think that was when I, I believe that's when I was talking too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember to shut the barn door? I was like, oh okay. <laughs> I didn't get it at first, but I, I got it. <laughs> Uh, good stuff. Um, incredible that, you know, you have two coaches in 41 years at one school. That's just, let's face it, it's unheard of in, in athletic, you know, college football, most athletics. To think about two coaches for 41 years is just incredible. And I think it speaks a lot to those two individuals. And as you talked about earlier, the university here and, and what makes it special, you know, that people care about each other and, um, Support each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the big picture. It's not just about football. It's about making good men. It really is. And that's part of what Coach Fry and Coach Ferris have been doing, making good men. And David Porter certainly is one of him. If you're looking for real estate in the Chicagoland area, if he can't help you, I'm sure he knows somebody who can. Um, yeah, and help Louie out too. Louie's getting started, so I'm sure he could. Uh, he would be. He could. He would welcome the business, so to speak. Always. <laughs> <laughs> but David, I really appreciate you joining me and giving me this much time. And I think the the fans are really going to enjoy uh, hearing this. Some great stories, and uh, I'm glad you're doing well. And it was great to catch up. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it.